0: Episode 25 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and with me are JP Breen and Ryan Top. And hey, JP, you know, before all the deals went down this week, Ryan had a big idea about what he was going to talk about to fill the time.
1: I don't even remember that. It, it was it Drew Nelson's Hyperbolic Chamber again. No, it wasn't. Okay. So Hyperbolic. we went. Yeah. We went to a
0: Jason Isbell show. Oh, yeah. On Wednesday, and all the news broke on Thursday. But during the day on Thursday, until it broke, he was like, "Oh man, I can, I can be like a baseball person and review a Jason Isbell concert on the podcast." So, I do you want to hear him review it, or should we just get going?
1: I don't, I don't. But my, but my one question would be like, what's the age mark if you're a baseball like, right? Cause if you're a baseball writer, you have to either like. Bruce Springsteen, or Jason Isbell. Like, it's one of the two. Yeah. But I was just wondering what, like, the age mark is where it switches. I think 40. it's... Yeah, I think... Is, uh, that was my guess.
0: It's it's boomers and maybe some old Gen Xers are the Springsteen people, and then yeah. if you're kind of a younger Gen X and millennial, maybe, kind of, mm-hmm. then I think you're the Isbell...
1: Millennial broadly con- construed.
0: Though it was is a bit of an older crowd, so I wouldn't say too many millennials, so...
2: No, we, we were kind of right in the sweet spot
0: for age. I okay.
1: Think. We're, not, anyways, we're not reviewing it. Uh, yeah, on.
0: we're not going to go through. If you, if you want to see the review of the show, I think Ryan and I both posted like a photo and he can probably respond to you on Twitter about it. So, um, anyways, you can rate review Milwaukee's Tailgate on iTunes. It helps fans find the podcast. So just take a minute, leave five stars, and write something nice about us. We want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate uh, Twitter bio. And also stick around for an announcement at the end of this podcast. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional podcast, uh, check out the MixPre3 and MixPre6. For more information, visit SoundDevices.com. Okay, so like I just said, uh, it, it ended up being a busy week once we hit Thursday evening. You and got to say, stuff it to ended up, talk about. It yeah, ended it was, up being a busy like hour and a half. <laughs> it was it was it was like Thursday. It was five o'clock in Milwaukee, and all of the sudden, like everything started to happen when the Yelich deal broke. So. Um, I guess JP, you've been a big Yelich guy for a while, so I guess why should fans be excited for this deal uh, just at the get-go?
1: Well, there are multiple things that Yelich brings to the table, but in general, like he's exactly what the Brewers want in terms of in terms of having an asset on on the team, right? He's young, only twenty-six years old. He brings defensive value in, in a corner outfield spot. And also, you know, he hits for average. He can draw walks. He's smart on the base path. He's a good hitter. He's left-handed. There's so many good things about him. And the fact that you're looking at somebody who is under team control for four years, maybe five years, depending on the team option. Um, and he's a 26-year-old guy who's a four to five mm-hmm. win player the last two years. There's... Like there's not everything that that people were looking at in terms of like Archer or people wanted Strowman or people wanted all of these pitchers. You know, they were looking at these guys that were cost controlled, that they were young, that they were entering their prime or they were already in their prime. Yelich is exactly that, except he's, you know, obviously a hitter and not a pitcher. So he's exactly the kind of uh, asset the Brewers like covet. But I like him because he can just flat out hit and I enjoy watching him play baseball. So it's going to be great to be able to do that more often.
0: Yeah, and it, it's a he's on a five-year deal. Uh, I think total is like $44.5 million, something like that. Um, but then if they pick up the option,
2: it goes up to 58 so, Sure, yeah. but I mean,
0: his cost from season to season is like 7 twelve, fourteen, 9 12 14 <laughs> something like that. So, I mean, he's... For a guy who is going to be entering his age 27 season? I think yes. it's
1: 26. I think he just turned 26.
0: Okay, we were debating that the other day, so I think... Nah, Either way, he's a young player. I mean, they have him in the prime of his career for five yeah, seasons.
1: He's he's 26 years old and one month. Yeah. Oh,
0: so, okay. uh, you know, they, they they have a young player entering his prime for five seasons. I mean, this clearly wasn't a let's just win right now kind of trade, right? Ryan? No, not at all.
2: Yeah, this was – and it really was a case of, like, them paying market value for him. They So the way that the story broke was – we at first thought, because the very first uh, information on the return was that it was going to be just Brinson and Diaz. And our first reaction to that was, wow, that seems like a really, really great deal. Like, that's incredible.
1: If you would have checked your your G-chat, you would have known that was not the return of the deal. And (laughs) I tried to help out.
0: Yeah, JP (laughs) told us pretty quick that it wasn't just... Those two were the first two names before the deal, like was confirmed. It was the confirmed by the Brewers. Yeah. The only thing we saw what you're going off of is like uh Rosenthal or somebody who had it it first. John Heyman Heyman had the names. Saying there but saying there's a deal between the Brewers for Yelich. There were no official details in just there is a deal.
2: but it was the it was those first two names first. And that seemed
0: like it would have been, you know, that would
2: have been more in line with what the Marlins did earlier in the offseason when they were just dumping money which they had absolutely no need to do with Yelich, So that seemed almost too good to be true, and it was. And then you saw that, you know, obviously Harrison gets added in, and that's a very big piece that, that is going to, you know, probably do a lot to determine whether or not this is a a, a
0: fantastic deal for the Brewers where they really, you know, did great for Hold themselves. Hold on or- a second. It can be a fantastic deal even if all, th- all four of those guys turn out to be Really yeah, depending players. on what depending on what yelich okay does. so yeah en- enough of this but whether Harrison, or not Harrison it's a has... fantastic deal if christian yelich is the player that they acquired
1: and can be
0: it's a fantastic deal
1: yes and we d- and we don't determine how quality a deal is based on what happens four years from now when we like would no business knowing what happens four years from now all you do is look at process right now and don't worry about whether or not we're going to look back and regret it because somebody goes place well for miami right it's I not mean, a, it's not a matter of that though
2: it's a matter of what the 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 end transaction ended up being in the, in the final analysis of it. You can, it is, it is appropriate to, to judge a transaction upfront with the knowledge that you have. And to say that this is a a good deal and they paid a fair price. That's that's absolutely. They paid a fair price. This was the market rate and they paid it. And there's really not any problem with that. But because of the talent that did go back the other direction, It has the potential down the road to be a deal where they gave up a lot to get, you know, one player. You're you're exchanging four players for one. So it has the potential to be a situation where you gave up a lot. Right. I know.
1: uh, Ryan, like always, is a little bit worried. He might have buyer's remorse at the end of it and that he might have to watch somebody who's better, you know, who he would have liked to see on the Brewers, who's good for a very long time, like Brinson or uh, or Harrison or Diaz. Um, but again, I think at this moment, it's not, we don't need to caveat everything with worrying about the fact that they gave up some players that might do some good things in the future.
2: No, but it is appropriate to mention that there it's are always, it's appropriate for you yes. to mention. no, it's, it's worth pointing out. They gave up a lot of talent. Like there are guys who have a lot of upside in this deal, well, I, going you, back to the direction, you were disappointed because
0: You were disappointed because the Cardinals didn't pay nearly that much for Ozuna. <laughs>
2: you did agree with me on
0: that front. Well, yeah, Ozuna, but
1: Ozuna's not as good. He's not as Ozuna's
0: good. Ozuna is not as good. He and doesn't have as much control, and he's only he yeah. only has two
2: years left before he has free agency. Right, but the Cardinals really got a very steep discount on that compared to what you know. Like Oz, I said, Ozuna, the Brewers Ozuna, the Brewers Ozuna paid also, a fair oh, market rate. But the Cardinals got Ozuna have below a track market.
1: That's no, also he doesn't. extremely important to recognize that Ozuna does not have the same kind of track record that Yelich has. He
2: does not, no. And he does not have the control that Yelich has, and he does not have the the uh, the the contract certainty where you
1: can't. But the, you know but what the he's also like the thing that people do need to recognize about Yelich as well is he is so people have talked a lot about David Stearns coming from Houston and what that means. And I think early in his tenure, we were looking at the fact that every single deal he made, he was getting guys down. That in either rookie ball or a ball and he was always getting a throw in whether or not that that was you know uh you know trey Supak or whomever and that was like one thing that we were saying that was something that the astros did and kind of trying to figure out what kind of things from the astros he was going to bring over if you look at what the astros do in terms of their their talent and what they actually value that there's a lot of players that but that uh, the Astros don't strike out very often. They walk a lot and they're quality defenders, right? And obviously they're going to hit for power and they're going to do these things, but yellow Yellich and Kane are precisely those players, right? I mean, they're, they're guys that might not necessarily hit for 30 homers, but they, they can draw walks. Their strikeout rates are under 20% and they offer defensive value. And those are the types of like broad based talents that, the Astros were able to build one of the best offenses we've seen, you know, in the last decade Uh, and they were able to do it with younger players. And that's exactly, you know, I think it's really interesting that the Brewers were isolating those types of talents instead of, and maybe it's, you know, the new kind of offensive environment that you don't have to worry about getting guys who can hit 30 homers because you know, Yelich maybe hits 20 homers in this new offensive environment or whatever, but it's just broad-based talent, guys, and that's one of the reasons. I know we haven't talked about him yet, but I actually like Lorenzo Cain more generally in terms of his aging process just because he does so many different things well, and so I think that gives you a little less margin... For error, or Like a little bit uh, larger margin for error in terms of aging and if, you know, the legs go bad or different things like that, he can still do some quality things. Okay, and to so be, Hold well, on, hold on. Just one last thing about it.
2: To be completely clear about it, I think it was a, a good trade. They, they got a guy for five years. They, they got a guy who's on a reasonable deal for five years for the prime of his career and they didn't give up what looks like a surefire superstar. In the future there's potential for a guy to evolve into that but they didn't have to give that up so it's a it's a good deal they paid they paid a market price and that's anyways uh yeah
0: let's let's go on to kane since uh lorenzo kane since jp brought him up okay so they they signed lorenzo kane what was it about an hour later hour and a half later the the deal was announced after the uh yelich uh deal broke that uh lorenzo kane coming back to milwaukee signed a five-year 80 million dollar deal Um, money looks kind of similar to what Yelich is making. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it starts a little bit higher, but he increases by a million a year, and he doesn't make more than 17 in a single season. He's got some deferred money, but uh, you have a guy with a 290, 342, 421 slash, and his fielding runs above average. He was basically between seven and 19 and a half runs above average, and his best season so far, according to Baseball Prospectus, was last season. Yeah. So... Um, I I guess JP, how does this signing make sense with the Yelich deal? Like why were they so quick to, to close this deal after getting that Yelich trade done?
1: Yeah, I, it's a good question. And I, there are a a few things to note about the deal more generally. I think the first one is, um, I know that people are, are suggesting that, you know, now that once they got Yelich, they went out and got Kane as quickly as possible. Uh, Kane, not only was it announced that Kane signed, but he had already passed his physical within an hour of the Yelich trade. So you can't pass medicals that quickly. Um, they pretty much had something ready to go by the time because they knew the Yellage deal was happening. And this was always what we've been talking about doing, whether it was trading Travis Shaw, backing it up with, with Mike Boustakis, whether it was, you know, trading Domingo Santana and then backing it up with Lorenzo Cain. Like it was always something they were looking to trade something for value and then be able to follow it up with a free agent deal to be able to, to, to do these sorts of things. So um this was always meant to be a tandem deal and because they knew they had kane it made it possible for them to to trade brinson and harrison because the biggest concern is if they went out and got yelich who's not a natural center fielder he's somebody who can handle center but he's much better uh, defensively in a corner if you do just that trade and you don't necessarily have an answer in center field it there's a possibility if yelich doesn't pan out in center or you try to go with some kind of platoon with Broxton and Phillips and that doesn't work out as you, as you plan, then you do start to feel like maybe you're going to regret getting rid of Brinson, or maybe you're going to regret getting rid of Harrison. You definitely could regret giving up both your top center field prospects. If you don't necessarily have a long-term answer in, in center field, but with Yelich and Kane, both signed for five years, you have Braun pretty much entrenched, you know, in, in one of the corners, I know that there's some talk that he might be going to first base. I know. There are a whole
0: bunch of questions about what Braun does. and We'll get to him later.
1: Yeah, we'll get to it. I mean, there was some stuff coming out from uh, Brewers on Deck today that talked about like what could be a possibility for, for Braun defensively. Um, but with those two things in place, you don't necessarily have a huge need at center field. And I know that having the the core of your outfield locked up for multiple years made Brinson and Harrison like as expendable as a prospect can be, right? Like you're not, you don't have pressing needs for them. And again, it's because of the broad base of talent that, that Yelich and and Kane have across the board offensively and defensively that make it possible to be able to do it. So it makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of that, the, the way that they were able to use their assets um, because I know that people are going to, to look at the, the farm system and say it's more depleted, but it's about functional usage of your, your, uh, your assets. And the whole point of Brinson and Harrison was you felt like the, the outfield was going to be set for a long period of time with the, those two, or it has a chance to be. And, uh, they were able to do it. They were able to get proven good players and they were to not able to, you know, defray some of their pitching in, in the upper levels of the system as well.
0: Now, Ryan, your, your first reaction when the trade went through with Yellich was you were unsure what the talent they gave up combined with Yellich's, I guess, level of play in center field.
2: Right. I think it was like Yellich uh, is a guy who can play center field for you. I don't know if he's a guy you want playing center field for you that many innings. What do
0: you think of this outfield defense now that you have Lorenzo Cain and Kristen Yelich out there? To go with either Ryan Braun or Domingo Santana, however, they're going to kind of manage a rotation.
2: Yeah, it looks fantastic. You have uh, you have guys that have a, a very good amount of range and are you know good have good arms and your very,
0: very good amount of range is underselling it a little bit.
2: Yeah, especially yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very good defensive. Outfield. I
0: mean, Lorenzo Cain alone has a lot of range, and then you put Yelich out there
2: yeah, so in that perspective, you're you're thrilled to be able to do it, and it's a big part of why there was talk today at the Brewers on deck event of the pitchers being pretty excited about the fact that they have these guys <laughs> now tracking down fly balls in the outfield for them that not only does this help them offensively and get them run support, but it will be you know a big addition uh, defensively as well. so. From that perspective, it's a huge gain, and the the Keane move then in tandem with Yellich made a lot of sense, as JP was talking about, that they really do go together and complement each other as moves for what is a pretty substantial upgrade in the outfield net, probably something in the neighborhood of, I don't know, five to seven wins on paper, based well, on, compared with what they had last year and what you kind of
1: thought were was likely this year. Well and I think one of the the things that this proves, and I and I know that it's something that we've been talking about on the podcast for the better part of two months, it's that uh, David Stearns was has been working on multiple things and trying to get interlocking moves to fit. Um, and and this is an example of things that he was trying to do. And so I think if you look forward, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, is People have kind of questioned whether or not, you know, Domingo Santana could potentially go, whether or not they want to keep him in a corner and kind of try to shift Braun to first base or whether or not this means we're going to go for a free agent starting pitcher, all of those things. Uh, there, there's no way in my mind that Stearns makes this move to create an, uh, an outfield surplus with a clear need with pitching in mind and not have a pretty good sense of what he's already got lined up or a good possibility. Yeah. I, I want to talk would... about
2: that in a minute when we get into some of the other questions, but yeah, that's, I, I think a hundred percent, he has a very good idea of what's going on and what his options are. And he's just waiting to see how the rest of the free agent market plays out. Yeah. We got we'll a, get to that.
0: We got a question from uh Kurt Hogg. He asks, uh, how many outfields in the league would you take right now over, Braun, Kane, Yelich, and Santana. And he said, I believe Braun is no longer in the outfield when I see it. Yeah,
2: I would not expect
0: Ryan Braun to go anywhere. That doesn't seem likely,
2: uh, considering he's basically said, and he has complete no-trade protection at this point. No, no, no,
0: no, no, no. He, he,
2: he just meant Braun moving to first base.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, there aren't many. Uh, you know, the Yankees have currently two insanely— talented, huge mashers on the corners, but in center field it's a you know, aged Jacoby Ellsbury. Sure. And there's probably, you know, Brett Gardner's also gonna be in that mix in left field. So maybe it's actually Santana or uh <laughs> Stanton playing at DH more often.
0: I mean the Angels have a Mike Trout in the outfield and that's always gonna be almost better than any combination you can I put was gonna say, there. but yeah, but he's also got
2: Justin Upton who's you know a pretty pretty great left fielder. Even, you know, and he's only 30 years old at this point. So you've got that too. Um, And then the Astros outfield is obviously extremely talented, though a lot of that comes down to, you know, how good is Marlon Gonzalez long-term and like, what is his actual level? We still have to see
1: because we haven't seen it repeated. So, but the the Red Sox too. Yeah. See, for some reason I took this like to mean a defensive outfield and not necessarily an outfield more generally. So I guess my answer was a little bit different. Um, but I mean, obviously like the, the Red Sox and the Rays are two defensive outfields that I think are just top notch. Um, and, and more so with the Rays if Kevin Karamire doesn't, you know, get injured. Um, but what the Red Sox have going with, with Mookie Betts, Jack, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. And Andrew Benatendi. And I know there's pretty good inkling that they're going to be in for, for JD Martinez, whether or not that that happens i can't necessarily see jd martinez going anywhere else um but probably a dh though at the with the red sox quite a bit maybe i mean you also think of the same thing that that's what hanley hanley ramirez is going to do now that they've got mitch Moreland back so there's some thought about whether or not it's going to be dh or if it is going to be right field and they'll use jackie bradley jr to be able to net something whether it's prospects or pitching um, but there's some flexibility there that they have, because of course they still have such, I mean, they've still got Mookie Betts, They've still got Andrew Benatendi. They've got, uh, Bogarts. They've got, they've still got just young premium pieces
2: and guys who um, can all play center field. You look at the Red Sox yeah. current everyday outfield. Every one of those guys can play center field and they're not necessarily great at it, but all of them can. And in the corners, you know, Benatendi and, uh, and Betts are both, you know, plus corner outfielders. So yeah.
0: And offensively, they're also very good. But, yeah, the, the Brewers' new crew, however it shakes out, it'll be interesting with, with what they do with Braun and Santana. Um, I, I mean, I guess we have a couple of questions. Do we think Braun's going to move? It doesn't sound like he'll move f- full-time, but do we think he'll actually see legitimate time at first base? Or is this going to be maybe, you know, let's try it out in spring training, and if it's a disaster, come up with some other idea?
2: I would imagine – that that's what it is, that they're going to see what he does in spring training and keep their options open as long as possible and then explore potential trades as things become more firmed up in their mind as to what direction they want to go.
1: Yeah, I think that they have to see how it goes in spring training unless they've already tried this experiment beforehand because the biggest mistake that people make is thinking that first base defense is easy. Um, And that anyone can do it because, you know, right. We've got like this defensive spectrum that we talk about people moving down or moving up the spectrum. And like, it's just, well, if first base is all the way at the bottom. It's got to be the easiest thing that we put on there. Uh, Anyone can play defensively at first base. That's just blatantly not true. Yes. Ask Chris Um, Davis about that. (laughs) Well, right. I mean, that's like the Brewers uh, biggest kind of piece of evidence for it, but. Um, there's a lot of footwork involved. Throwing at first base, especially to second, to be able to turn double plays, not all that easy. You've got a situation... Prince Prince
0: Fielder did play first base, and he never learned how to throw a ball. So, I mean, it's possible.
1: It is possible, but that doesn't necessarily mean... It's not good, but it
0: is possible. Yeah, Fielder didn't have a weak arm. He just didn't... You never knew where it was going. Every time he wound up to
1: throw, I was like, oh my God, this could go to anybody. Right. And so I think that right now... There are multiple options. I think there's no way, in my mind, unless there's a trade happening, that Braun plays full-time at first base because Eric Thames should be playing against right-handers, uh, like, period. Yes. Um, well, yeah,
0: that's the thing. Braun doesn't have the heavy side of the platoon anyways if you want to get a, you know
1: an optimized lineup out there. Right. No, but I think that there's no way you're platooning Braun either. No. Well,
2: no, but so the question right. is, if Braun is platooning, he will be playing, it'll be a split platoon where he plays... At first base and in left field, depending on what the
1: situation is, or right field, right? Because I mean, there's a there's a pretty good chance that Yelich actually takes over in left because I'd rather have Braun's arm in, in right than the yeah, Yelich's. That, so Yelich, that could be too.
0: Yelich does not have a big arm, so it does yeah. seem like he he needs to be your left fielder.
2: Yeah, so ideally,
0: right? And Braun going back to right field. I mean, he gets kind of bumped around at this point,
2: but that's I that's the lot in life of, for him at this point. Anything to this uh, second base rumor that was floating around today? I can't even, I can't even say it with a straight face.
0: No, he, he, <laughs> he, he said that meeting with the media, like right at the beginning of On Deck this morning.
1: Yeah. Like whenever
0: yeah. they first made anyone available, Ryan Braun met with a bunch of reporters and said, Oh, yeah, I also talked about playing second base as well. I was say,
1: wasn't it that like Carlos Gomez always said he wanted to play short? Like, always came in and told people he wanted to play shortstop. But you could Gomez see Gomez took grounders there every day. You and could, I watched him do it. Awesome. The thing
0: with Carlos Gomez is you could see it and you'd go, yeah, yeah you know, it's probably not going to happen, but at least you can dream on it. We're Ryan Braun moving to second base, which is more difficult than third.
1: Right, especially uh, d- depending on what your issues are, whether it's footwork or whether it's your arm. Right? Well, he had all of those issues. Well, no,
2: his <laughs> arm strength was never a question. It was the functional issues.
1: And uh, you know
2: what I was envisioning was Ryan Braun, the mechanics of turning a tricky double play.
0: <laughs> That's what I was imagining. I'm like, oh God, no. I mean, and he's never been like the absolute healthiest player. So th- throwing <laughs> no. him in the middle of the infield seems like kind of a gamble you wouldn't want to
1: take. So, well, yeah. but uh, so I think the question then becomes. Well, I think if that's say- a, going to be a question coming up. <laughs> well, if you're saying that that Ryan, if you're saying that Ryan Braun is going to be playing the outfield against right-handers, so Eric Thames can play first base against right-handers, and then Braun is going to move potentially, obviously depending on what happens in spring training, and what happens with moves, um, play first base with a left-hander on the mound, so Eric Thames gets gets the day off because he was markedly worse against lefties, and then that means somebody else needs to then fill in in right field. And right now, obviously, that would be Domingo Santana. There's a question of whether or not Keon Broxton could do it. And there is, I know that a lot of people would want Brett Phillips to do it, but he's a lefty that doesn't necessarily seem to fit with any kind of platoon issues. Um, but for for myself looking into, and I tweeted it earlier today, I, you know, time is weird with a podcast, but earlier on Sunday um, that Broxton Lifetime is not that much worse offensively than Domingo Santana against righties. And Broxton is an, is obviously a glove you'd much rather have in the outfield than Santana. And he offers
2: flexibility that Santana doesn't.
1: Yeah, certainly. So you have an argument that actually, even if this is your plan and you want to be able to give, uh, additional at bats or plate appearances to an outfielder that it might not be that big of a drop down, uh, if you look holistically at everything instead of just the bat itself, that there's an argument that Keon Broxton actually not a bad idea to have as your platoon mate in in right field or center field. And if that moves people around, I think the ideal
2: might be like, if you could script it so that it would play out this way, this is probably the ideal would be that, uh, Jesus Aguilar has a really good spring Hits the, the heck out of the ball, looks really good. Ryan Braun looks good at first base, giving them the feeling that we're going to play Ryan Braun on a consistent basis at first base against uh left-handed pitching. And by setting that up, then they could trade Aguilar, get, you know, whatever for him, and then keep and this is assuming, and this is an issue we haven't talked about yet, but this is assuming they trade Domingo Santana, which I basically am assuming at this point, um, that at that point then you could keep both Brett Phillips and Keon Broxton around to play in the outfield because you know that there's going to be enough at-bats for them and you know that you have space for them with Ryan Braun covering first. So you could carry that fifth outfielder knowing that 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 was possible for you. So... If things could play out that way, where Braun does look that good at first base that they feel comfortable with it, that's probably the ideal. That's probably the best case scenario.
0: Well, I guess JP, uh, let's just get
1: into it. What do we think is going to happen with uh, Domingo Santana at this point? Uh, if I had to guess, I think Domingo Santana will be moved by the early by early this week uh, for pitching. You think it's that quick, huh? I do.
0: Well. Th- Okay, we saw how quickly they had Lorenzo Cain and Kristen Yelich; those two deals figured out, and we know that. mean, it took all winter. (laughs) Yeah,
2: they've been talking to Cain
0: since uh, since November, since free agency opened. But But once they were announced, I mean,
1: understand what he's saying. Once the
0: dominoes started to fall here like they they knew what their plan was and they okay, knew how yeah. they wanted to get these deals they've done
1: they've been talking they've been talking like in like it's been reported that they've been talking to teams about Domingo Santana since or since the winter meetings in yep. December yep they so it's that they were they shopping him was the report right they said well, the word was you, shopping and if you read the between the lines it's maybe not uh not too big of a jump to say that maybe they weren't necessarily shopping him, but they were aggressively seeing what other teams were willing to offer just in case something like this happened in which they suddenly had a a surplus of outfielders. And Domingo Santana was maybe somebody that they were looking to offload to augment the the roster elsewhere. So Steve and I talked about this a little bit earlier this week. We did. And so here was, we were curious
0: and, and I guess today Mark on said at brewers on deck, or I should say on Sunday, um, that the Brewers still had the ability to add another big-time starter. Yes. Okay. So is there a possibility that they just spend money to get the starter they need, and then Domingo Santana, as opposed to being traded for pitching, like we kind of assume, maybe he's used to bring back you know some talent to replenish the system that they already gave up. Is Absolutely. that a
1: possibility? Absolutely. And I also think it's a possibility that they go out and sign somebody, uh, for sake of argument. A uh, uh, Jake Arrieta, and they still trade Domingo Santana for pitching, but it's for a high end reliever. Sure, and it's not, and it's not, and for somebody who can then partner with Canable at the back end of the bullpen. Which what kind of reliever? Up,
0: what kind of reliever would that be? Uh,
1: I mean, there's there. I'm, whether I don't necessarily know who's who's buying at this at this stage. I mean, would they um, be
0: trading for a guy that you know has a bunch of saves racked up, or I mean, are you looking for there? Just a there lot have arm? Been
1: I just two examples of people that have been in, in kind of the news cycle over the last six to eight months from last July uh, that are being either shopped or listened. Uh, people are calling about them. Uh, it would be Alex Colome with, uh, with the Rays, And there's also a possibility that you could see something trying to be worked out for Brad hand of the, of the Padres as well. I mean, I don't necessarily know how much those like Domingo Santana fits. Um, But
2: he would also fit. I'm sorry. He would also fit really well in Cleveland, potentially for
1: one of their starters. Yeah. But Cleveland's not going to are I, yes, there is that like rumor that like keeps going again and again, but I guess we were just thinking about relievers at that point. And they're not going to be moving a reliever.
2: Yeah, no, they're yeah. Their bullpen has already taken a bit of a hit with the subtraction of Brian Shaw. Right. So they're down one of their big arms that they have
0: had but right now they have some flexibility with what they can
1: get for Santana they don't need to just zero in on one type of player a hundred percent and that was actually I think that strength of the organization and we've been talking about building up depth and building up options as being one of the biggest strengths that David Stearns has been doing over the last two years that was like on display for this Yelich and Kane deal Right. Because outfield is not the place that you would have foreseen the Brewers going out and making a high, like two high impact signings, right? Or acquisitions in general, because I guess one was traded for and one was signed via free agency, but both are acquisitions. Um, They could have done it at third base. We talked about that, whether it was trading Shaw and signing Mustakis. They could have done it in the starting rotation. They could have just gone out and packaged people for a starting pitcher. But again, what they do is they prefer to sign somebody to give them the options to be able to take what is the best deal necessary. Because now you can just say, I've got these five deals, whatever it is, you know, five deals for Santana that are out here. Which one do I like best? which one meets my valuation, which one is going to make the, the organization best overall. And that's the reason why the Yelich deal is so great because people cannot view this deal in a vacuum and just say the Brewers gave up you know three of their top 10 prospects or three top 100 prospects or whatever it is, depending on where Diaz ends up coming in in terms of top 100 deals or top 100 lists. Off of them uh, mostly for right now. And it can't be a situation in which you look at that and say that, the Brewers won or lost the deal based on this in a vacuum because they only move if they didn't have Lorenzo Kane, they wouldn't have moved both Harrison and Brinson. It just wouldn't have happened. Um, um, how much? On. No, no. I,
0: uh, how much does this fly in the face of compete versus rebuild as two separate things?
2: That's what I was just going to get to. Yeah, it's that's so. David Stearns came in from the beginning and has said since day one that his goal is consistent competition that to be consistently competing. And he reiterated today, again, said that uh, their goal is not to be dealing prospects and signing players through free agency, that that's not going to be their primary means to getting to competition. Um, Yeah, the, the direct quote was, we are not as a franchise going to live on trading prospects or live on signing free agents. And so... To make that work, then, what you have to do is have a steady stream of prospects coming up from the minor leagues, and part of that is going to mean that you're going to have to make trades for prospects sometimes when you have excess big league talent, and that's pretty close to what Domingo Santana is at this point. You could argue that it's not pure excess, that you could find ways to work him into the roster this year to be more successful, but his best use at this point for them is probably in a trade, and if it's not for an immediate help in terms of a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher, his best use is probably just to help boost the farm system back up again and to get it replenished so that they can continue on in this this path that they're going where they're going to try to contend consistently as opposed to the boom and bust cycle that had marked Doug Melvin's tenure.
0: Well, and also considering the moves they made, it doesn't look like they're going to make a move they're not going to just move guys around the field to fit everybody on. They want a good defensive team out there as well. So it's not going to be, let's move Ryan Braun to first base just because we can get Domingo Santana on the field for a significant number of bats as well. If if it makes a bad defensive lineup, Mm-hmm. I don't think this organization is going to move forward with that right now. No, and
1: it's and it's a big change for what we used to see with Jack Sorenzik, which was like, find a bat and figure out where they play defense later. Yep. Right? And that was the reason why you got Ricky Weeks. That was the reason you got Braun. You got Fielder, right? There were merits to it, but there were never a quality defensive team. And you always do, like myself, I always look back and wonder, did those teams not necessarily reach the heights that we thought they could have? Or like their their pitching was never consistently good enough was that because the defense was just consistently poor it like could, i think it's a big part of it like there there's a lot of that goes into that and now what you're doing is trying to build that broad base of talent because again yelich is not like this this isn't a win now move and i know that the media is going going off with this because of two things number one nobody's been doing anything so
0: <laughs> yeah people
1: do like the fact that the purers have gone out and actually acquired two players any
0: move is winning now apparently
2: right the the uh, love being showered on the brewers on MLB network on Friday was amazing. And it was, it seemed mostly tied to the, thank God they've given
1: us something to talk about. Absolutely. But then there's the whole thing today during the brewers on deck where pitchers, whether it's been pitchers like Brett Suter, whether it's been at whether it's been Stearns, everybody has talked about like supercharging what they were doing, or they're finally going for it, or they're all in for this season. Council said something to that effect, like, like Shaw, like, they're selling that. Like, if you look at what like Stearns is doing, they're selling this as going for it when it's not going for it. It's act, what it's doing is actually consolidating yourself, giving yourself more certainty and more quality players over a longer period of time. Cause this is not for just 2018. Like, this is exactly what we were talking about for things like Archer. This is a long term upgrade. And it's even a five if year you, window. Absolutely. Well, sure. If not, right? if not
2: more than that. I mean, depending on how they how that works and what other moves they make, but
1: absolutely. So when you're talking about like, I guess, sure. You want to say that they have made themselves better this year and maybe that's what going for it means. But I mean, every, we've been talking about the whole, like the whole time, the entire point has been to make the organization better. Um, And it fits into what Steve was talking about too. Like if this is about making the organization better, maybe that is moving Santana for prospects. And that still is making the organization better because then in July, if you do need to go out and get another reliever or you've got a couple of injuries in the starting rotation, you need to go get somebody for that. You have reloaded yourself with some prospects that you can actually go and make those moves again. So it gives yourself the flexibility, uh, more holistically. Okay. So our, uh, friend of the podcast, Jonathan
0: judge asked a question. Well, former guest, our only former guest. That's why I call him friend of the pod. Well, okay. That's what, that's <laughs> what friend of the pod means is that we've had him on before. It, means. it okay. does. Okay. If you were hip to the lingo, uh, <laughs> <laughs> will the farm system ever recover from this week's moves ryan i i don't think it, he, i don't think he wrote ryan yeah I, i'm looking at it right now he didn't write ryan this one wasn't initially written to ryan but we know exactly where that was aimed at so <laughs> do you think the system can recover from this
2: sure i mean so they dealt from positions of strength there were coming into that trade you know they had more depth and more uh more talent at center field and second base than any other position going, if you don't count pitcher, because that's just too generic. Um, beyond Brinson and beyond, uh, beyond Harrison, you still have the number five pick in the draft in 2016 in Corey Ray, who people still believe in. There's, there's a belief that he, the, the athleticism is there, the want is there. It's just a question of whether or not he can make the adjustments he needs to make. And so they have that premium talent there. They also have behind that the two guys they just signed um, in uh, last summer in the July two signings were both, you know probably outfield or center field ish players. Um, and then at second base, behind Diaz, you have or around Diaz, I should say, you have Mauricio Dubon, who's fairly close to being at the major league level. And then behind him, now probably the best, well, yes, the best prospect left in the system in Keston Hira.
0: Well, what's interesting, okay, Keith Law- They have depth. Yeah, Keith Law just released his top 100 prospect list. Yes. And he actually had Corbin Burns ahead of Lewis Brinson on his list. He had uh, Burns at 24, Brinson at 32, and then he also had uh, Keston Hira as his 35th prospect. So according to him- Brinson was just kind of in the middle, and Hira's pretty close to that talent anyways. Now, Law's, Law is kind of an outlier because he does his own list as opposed to um, Baseball America,
1: Baseball Prospectus. They kind of have uh, groups that do their lists. Yeah, but I, I will say, just to, to weigh in on that, I've been really surprised how many people within the industry I've talked to since the since the, the Kane and Yellow deal has happened. That there are a lot of question marks about Louis Brinson. Um, and I know that maybe... I don't necessarily share as many of them uh, because I don't think that we've ever really seen him get a shot at the big league level to see how it works. But there are a lot of questions about his certainty and and how much value he can give. I, I think that people view him mu- in the industry, people view him much more as a high risk prospect than maybe Brewers fans and myself have given it credit for over the last 12 months. Um, and the, the, and I'm not talking about Brewer scouts either, just like, pe- like people in the industry and in, in rival teams and whatnot. Um, there, there are a lot of people that have big question marks about Lewis Brinson. So I'm not necessarily sure to say that it's a surprise that law would have him that low. Is he getting dogged a little
0: bit by the fact that he seems to be an older prospect and people kind of fetishize guys who can break out early or break into the majors early, or, you know, they, they kind of
1: make their mark young at each level. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think people have a lot of questions on whether or not he's going to be able to hit enough to matter. Yeah, I to think that's just the power that he has. Yeah, he clearly he clearly has power. His like th- the way physically he's has long levers. He has a lot of ability to create power, uh g- really good defensively. But a lot of people have question marks on whether or not he's gonna be able to hit enough. Um and that's just that's something that I'm you know, maybe I should have been asking earlier. Uh, but there are a lot of question marks about Lewis Brinson in which you know, arguably there were teams that maybe could have had an opportunity to acquire Brenton that uh, didn't view him as a centerpiece of a deal for because of this very reason. Um, so I was really surprised to hear those sorts of things. But obviously, Brenton still has a crazy high ceiling. But in terms of basing him as the, the the centerpiece of any deal, it sounds to me like there were some teams that didn't want to do it. Well, we shouldn't ignore the fact that Lewis Brenton has a high floor. Because he's a plus defensive player.
0: Absolutely. Like we're not like, let's not pretend like we're saying that, Oh, they got
1: out of Brinson at the right time or something. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's not a situation in which like, I don't think very many people have questions about Brinson being able to be a big league player. It's not like he's going to flame out, but right. I mean, people were talking about, you know, you can't possibly trade Lewis Brinson for, for Christian Yelich. Well, look, like Kristen Yelich is a four to five win player 26 years old over the last two years. Like, if what do you like? Brinson would have to be otherworldly to be worth keeping if, if Yelich is on the table. Like that was ridiculous. So you get in a situation where you have a lot of high-risk players because even as much as I really I, and people know this, I love Monty Harrison, but he's still. Like his bat doesn't stay in the zone for very long. He's still kind of a boom and bust guy, but like last year you kind of could see what he could become, but he was still only hitting what 265, 270. Um, but again, he's somebody who plays really quality defensively. And Isan Diaz was hitting like 20, 230 for the vast majority of the year. He has huge questions on his hip, on his hit potential. Um, and so if you look at it from the Brewers organization. You get got rid of a lot of guys that were uh, probably riskier than we liked to talk about because we we obviously liked them or or we wanted them to play well. Um, But they're they're obviously all players that have really high ceilings as well. Um, And that the the Marlins were were smart to capitalize on those things because they need superstars. And and all of those guys have a potential to be above average major league producers. But there is a lot more risk there than we think.
2: The Marlins needed ceiling there.
1: How do, we, how do we feel
0: about Corbin Burns and Keston Hira, and uh, who else would we put up there? Luis Ortiz? Are those probably the top three right now? No, they... Um, <laughs> I, I'm asking your opinion. You can say what you, you'd like the top three. No, to no, leave. no. I just...
2: I blanked. Sorry. But I wasn't thinking you were going that direction.
0: Burns and Hira are probably the top two prospects right now in the system.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'd say... yeah. yeah. I would think right now that probably is the case. I think I had burns number four behind. I, I sell ideas pretty high. Um, well, no, I didn't have burns number four. That wouldn't make any sense. So yeah. So you had Brinson, you had uh, Harrison, you had Hira or Hira than Harrison. So yeah, I'd say that those two would be would be up there in the top. Depending on what you think about Lucas Ursig he could potentially be up there. Brett Phillips is still on prospect list, which we didn't mm-hmm. expect, and so he's still up there. Yeah, Brandon w- Woodruff, Woodruff is like the that. other Woodruff, guy. Yeah. I was gonna
2: say that's. I think there's a pretty clear tier though that Hira and and Burns are the one and the two, and then after that, you're talking about the next level where it's yeah, it's the guys you just mentioned.
0: So Woodruff, Ortiz, Ersig, uh Corey Ray then moves up. Corey Ray's yeah. in that well the in that point. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: Corey Ray's in there. I mean, Trent Clark, no, now Trent Grisham, his yep. he's up there as well. Um, Mauricio Dubon belongs in that discussion as well. Yeah, because certainly he is getting pretty close as well. So you've right. got... I mean, this isn't this is not a situation in which you're all of a sudden like the Cubs and they don't have a single top hundred prospect in their system is doesn't have a lot of depth and it doesn't have a lot of ceiling to it whatsoever. This is still a Brewer system that one of its best attributes was its depth and that some of the most high ceiling guys are the ones that ended up getting traded, but there's still a lot of talent within the organization. And there still is a lot of talent kind of in the 15, 10 to 15 range in there where there are a lot of guys that you could see big league potential on, um, that, you know, like whether it's even Troy Stokes that some people are seeing as a potential outfielder now, like a big league outfielder that, uh, You know, maybe 12 months ago or even six months ago, we weren't even talking about or we were dismissing on the podcast, I think even. So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, great options that the Brewers are putting together. And again, depth still seems to be a strength. And when you have depth and you don't have to make specific moves to be able to have a quality organization, then you get deals like the the Yelich and Kane, you know, combination.
0: Okay. So, uh, Seth Victor asks, do you think the drawn out market drove Kane's price down or is five for 80 about what he would have signed with in signed for in previous off seasons? Uh, he thinks it's a bit low, but he's not really sure. I mean, if you look at
2: what was projected before the off season, everybody had him at four and 70. Uh, that was true. I think Dave Cameron was four and 72 MLB trade rumors was four and 70. The, uh, the people that were doing the projections, the crowdsourcing or whatever that they do at Fangraphs was right in that neighborhood as well. To me, he, this wasn't a, the, a, much like the Yelich thing. This was market price. They paid a market price, a market rate for him. They didn't, this wasn't a case of his, and I've seen this narrative sold, especially nationally, where this idea, well, the Brewers took advantage of a slow-moving off-season market to sign Lorenzo Cain. I mean, that might be partially true in that there maybe weren't enough suitors to really drive the price up and up and up. But really, he this was the market rate. I think this was about what people expected he would get before the, the offseason, obviously, and, and that's what he signed for. So I don't buy that. I don't think that um, – I really don't think that, that this is – a case of the, the slow market impacting him in any real way.
0: JP, this is what people kind of expected for Kane. Is there the possibility that even though it was quote unquote market price, they still got a good deal on Lorenzo Kane?
1: Well, like it's yes. he under I mean, Well, I think he is on. I, he is the only reason that people don't love this deal across the board is because of his age. Um, In terms of what kind of player he is, what type of value he gives, he's, Everybody would be falling over themselves to get a four win player. Like there's, and he was five little Leicester, doubt. I was gonna say, to, I think he's had yeah. some five and six win. Be year, five point like, three. Yeah, he he's he's obviously a very good player, um, but in I don't think that they over. I don't think that um, the slow market, I guess, impacted him too much. But I do think it's worth saying that. On a year to year salary, I don't think he's making as much as I thought he was going to make. I mean, even if you look back at what like Shane Victorino was making when he signed for the Red Sox and Shane Victorino was like, you know, this kind of older. I think he was 32, 33 when he was signing with the Red Sox and he had just kind of really broken out. I mean, he was still getting 13, 14 million dollars a year. That's what Kane's getting now. And Kane's a better player than Victorino. Ever well, was. Kane's getting 16 a year.
0: He works his way up there, but I mean, no no, no, I, that's what it averages.
2: He's 14, sure. 15, 16, 17. Yeah, 18. but he's
1: still starting out 13, 14 million a year. I mean, there's not that much. Dip. So, yeah, okay. There's a $13 million deal versus $16 million a year. That 3 million in baseball lingo doesn't really matter that much.
0: I mean, I was looking at Lorenzo Kane, you know, after the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was amazing when you see not only does he bring plus defense in center field, but I mean, the guy gets on
1: base. Yes, he does. And he, does, and he doesn't he, strike out, but he does. No, he can draw he,
0: walks. Yeah, he draws walks. He gets on base. And I mean, really, unless he really hits a cliff, you know, because of his age, if, if he would, I was telling Ryan this before we started recording, I think if he would have even been a year younger, he probably would have pushed $100 million. Sure. I mean, I think it was purely the fact that he starts this contract at 32 years old. If right. he would, if he would have well, started a shade younger than that, I think the yeah, other, I think
1: Oh, go ahead. I would say, I think, the, and I'm sure this is actually exactly what you were going to say. But I think, first of all, the Brewers got him because they were willing to go five. Mm-hmm. I, I would be willing to bet that there were people who went four who gave him a higher kind of, you know, average, uh, average annual value. Um, but the other thing that makes people a little bit skittish on Kane is that he's only actually had two years in which he's amassed 600 plate appearances. Yes. I mean, he, he has been injury prone. No, um, now, I which mean it's scary when you talk about somebody who's going to be getting a little bit older.
0: But that that also I think that's why they have the depth in the outfield, and you don't just say trade everybody because you sign guys. Oh, well, I was gonna Absolutely. mention
2: this earlier yeah. too. Um one really interesting thing also about Kane and Yelich together as a combination is you're taking them out of two parks that really suppress power for them. Like these were guys who were not in situations where they could get cheapy home runs very easily, you know, especially Yelich. But also, you know, Kansas City is not a, a great hitter's park, especially for home runs. So when you look at that, there is some growth potential too where they could you could see them start to focus a little bit more on power and to boost their offensive value that way as well so that they could have... I'm not talking about taking it to an entirely different level, but the profile maybe changes a little bit and they add a little bit in value even as they're getting older
1: yeah i will uh, and to that point just because i i as you were talking about that i just looked up some statistics and this is just last year because it's all i pulled up but but Yelich away from home last year had an 869 ops versus at home he only had a 743 ops massive difference Uh, lorenzo Kane last year at home had a 788 ops and was over 800 at 817 away from away from home last year and
2: usually Usually, you expect guys to hit better at home than they do on the road. That's a general well, trend. yeah,
1: and to and to be fair, like Kane did hit for a better average, and he had a better on base percentage at home last year than he did on the road. But he did hit remarkably more power uh, away from home than he did yeah, last year. And, so. and I think that gives and, and them Yella, some growth. And, yeah, Delach having a short having the short porch in left field as a left handed hitter is not is nothing to sneeze at either.
0: No, it's not. Though I always feel like we always we always think that short porch is going to play into something, and then you kind of look at it and you are like, eh. There are a couple cheapies, maybe, but it's not too often it place into much. Like, I don't expect like an offensive explosion just because. Oh, no. Of he's not going to hit like 30 bombs. Yeah. So, so let's, shot yeah, shot. let's kind of rein that in a little bit. Um, but, Sorry. Okay. I got so, uh, one last question uh, before we wrap up. We got a few of these, but um, Mitch Reichert asks After all of the deals this week, what do you guys think the lineup will look like? He says he's tried to set one himself. There's a ton of good options, and he wants to hear what we have to say.
2: I think the beauty of it is, is that you can go so many different ways. Um, I, I kind of started playing with some ideas too. I think that from my perspective, I more look at it like, okay, one, I do like alternating left, right, left, right. That is something I like because it, it does limit, uh, managers attacking you later in the game. It makes it a little bit harder for them to attack that way. Um, But I think that you have with with both Yelich and Kane, you have guys that should be, I would say, hitting somewhere one through three in the order because of what we just talked about, because of the fact they get on base. And this was a a struggle for the Brewers last year; they weren't a great on base team. And neither one of them hits for so much power that you worry that having them further down in the order is necessarily like or that high in the order is sacrificing that you know the benefit of that power. So I feel like. You'd like to see those guys up towards the front of the lineup, so that you can take advantage of that ability to get on base. Okay,
0: get to it. it Kane, oh, so
2: I, can, Kane, I Kane Kane Yelich Braun Thames when he's playing. Depending on yeah, depending on how it shakes out, I could see Yelich Braun, um, maybe in, in this case you'd so alternating left right going uh, Shaw and then uh, uh, Kane fourth and
1: Thames fifth, no, no, something like that. For me, it's it's Kane, Yelich, Braun, Thames, Shaw, and then after that, you just kind of figure it out. I don't think there's any reason to get cute for it. Kane's got more. Kane's got more speed on the base pass. Yelich is exactly the kind of high contact hitter with some power and who can get on base at second. I don't think there's any reason to move. There's been pretty consistently Braun hits third, and then Thames if he plays against uh, right-handed pitchers, you want him batting fourth, and then if it's against a righty, right, you've already got Travis Shaw, and so it's not that big of a deal to. to go lefty-lefty in a row. Obviously, against left-handed pitching, that's when things get a little bit different because, again, we've been talking about whether or not Braun is going to be first, play first base and then Thames is going to sit, and then there's a big question mark as to how that's going to work. But I, for me, I think you put Kane number one, you put Yelich number two, you put Braun three and figure it out after that.
0: I almost feel like because of Braun, you know where you then put Kane and Yelich. Well,
1: Braun has
2: moved up to second on a somewhat consistent basis over but, the last few years since Council took over. But
0: if, why?
1: If Ryan Braun is healthy... Sure. It if Ryan Braun is healthy,
0: Ryan Braun's still your best hitter, and you're
1: probably. But then, and and why it. would and why would you rather have Yelich or Kane hitting third rather than Braun? I mean, both both Yelich both Yelich and Kane are going to offer you more on the base pass. They're going to offer you more in terms of, just, I don't know. I think of the table setting ability, and then Braun is the is the pure type of hitter that you want to have at third, who's going to hit for a little bit more power than both of those two. And he's not necessarily going to be running as much as he gets older. Sure. I think the thing we will see, because we've, I think we can say this now,
2: having watched Craig Council manage for a couple of years, we're going to see a lot of different lineups. He's this wow. is There's not going to be a consistency yeah. to this. He's going to, especially as you mentioned, JP, with the fact that there's going to be fairly different lineups for right-handers and left-handers. You're going to see a bunch of different formations and a bunch of different ways that this works. So yeah. I think the, the important part, like I said before, get your on-base guys to the top and then the power guys in close behind them. And that's
0: just the general way to build the lineup. Yeah, it's it's not going to be that difficult. No. It, you know what? There's it's, a lot of options. It's more difficult when you didn't have those options, and then all, all of a sudden you think, well, Eric Thames, even if he's going through a cold streak, he draws walks, so we'll have him lead off for a little bit. And then you hope he keeps that up. And he had seconded a bunch last year. Yeah, you know, you kind of you put guys in positions that maybe they're not quite as tailored to, just trying to get the most out of your lineup. They don't yeah. really need to do that. This yeah, co- I was gonna say ideally actually, they don't need to this coming season. I
1: would say for me, if they don't end up signing anybody at second base, the biggest question is if you put the pitcher at eighth and you put whoever is going to be playing second base, whether that's Sogard or VR, you put them at in the nine in the nine hole to be able to allow yourself to play off of the fact that Lorenzo Kane is actually a really good hitter.
0: Man, could you imagine if VR has a bounce back this season? That offense is that, scary deep. That offense would go from it was fine last year to yeah a pretty deep offense that would be not yeah. fun for opposing pitchers to face yeah no it, for sure it would be a meat grinder
2: sort of situation um before we go i want to because we talked about this i think last week or maybe it was the week before and i asked do you think that the brewers are going to sign one of the top free agent pitchers and obviously the situation's changed i think we both said yes we thought that that was likely am i
1: correct in that jp uh I said that I thought they were going to sign Jake Arrieta.
2: You said Jake Arrieta. I said I thought one of the top four. What are you still on that?
1: Do you think that's likely to happen, or less likely now? I will. I I will stick with what I have said over the last month.
0: Okay. Are we waiting for for you, Darvish, to sign with the Cubs? Is that kind of the uh, one signing that would have to happen to open up Arrieta for the Brewers?
1: I don't think so. I think actually what needs to happen is they have to figure out what's going on with Domingo Santana first. Oh, you think it has
2: to go that direction as opposed to the other way around?
1: Well, I think if you can if you can address your starting pitching via Domingo Santana trade, then Jake Arrieta becomes a little bit non-necessary, right?
2: Yeah. See, I thought it was maybe the other direction around. This is what we were talking about, Steve and I, where I thought maybe they were waiting. They have an idea of what some different packages for Domingo Santana look like. And they're waiting to see if they can land one of the big pitchers, which would well, then allow them to sure. pick between then, what they've sort of already lined up.
1: But then in my head that that means they are not getting the pitching that they deem necessary in the Santana trade.
2: Or they just like the option, the other direction better because it what are you, offers the what are you, most what potential are you arguing? for them. What are you arguing Oh, no, I'm not that. arguing. I'm just saying I thought it was more the other direction around. I'm just interested because it seems to be we have different opinions
0: they have a few options, like we said. Uh, you know, Ananasio said they're not out of signing free agents. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go from uh, from here. And they, they're still they obviously they're going to add they're going to add more talent to the major league roster. You would think, yeah. So it'll be exciting to see. So, um, anyways, like I said, I at the uh, top of the podcast we had a bit of an announcement. So uh, JP, I'm going to hand it over to you for this.
1: Yeah, great. So. As so, we've been talking about the fact that this is our twenty fifth podcast, which is you know obviously a quarter way to a century, and we've ha- had a lot of we've had a lot of like both overhead costs to be able to get the the equipment for the whether it's the sound devices equipment, whether it's to make sure that we have microphones, whether it's to make sure that we have our uh our kind of our, our podcast system on on SoundCloud to be able to make sure that we get that going throughout the course of the year. So we have had to have uh, investment going in. So what we've been able to do is put together a a Patreon to allow listeners that if you do appreciate what we've been doing, gives you an opportunity to, you know, start helping us defray the cost of the podcast to be able to bring this to you every single week. Uh, it helps us, you know, if you want to buy us a coffee or buy us a beer, it gives you an opportunity to do that. But we're hope- hopefully going to be able to make it, make it worth your while to both, A, be able to express your appreciation for, for what we're able to do. And I know that, you know, the fact that people were really excited and asking us to do the podcast with the, the Yelich and, and the Kane deal this week. That people do appreciate the fact that they get to hear us kind of, you know, yell at each other. Um, but we have a good a good opportunity for you to potentially get more podcasts in the future. If you if you contribute to a certain level, we're going to be trying to figure out a way to potentially meet up to watch a game in the future, whether it's over the summer uh, or whether it's you know earlier in the spring. We'll have to see how that goes. But. We're going to try to have different tiers to be able to give everybody an opportunity to give at the level that they feel comfortable with. That they feel, you know, this brings a good addition to the beginning of your week to hear some stuff about the Brewers and get you excited for Opening Day. So, um, don't please take take a minute, look at it. If it doesn't feel right, if you don't want to to contribute anything, that's fine. We still love the fact that you're listening. We still. Please send us questions. Please interact on on Twitter. Don't feel like it's it's creating a barrier any in any way to being able to do this. But we are trying to make sure that uh, we can have an opportunity to pay off uh, the things that we put into this to be able to get the podcast started and, and give you an opportunity to express your appreciation. So be yeah. yeah, be on the lookout for it. Um, we'll It'll try to make the sure notes, it's available right? on Twitter. Yeah, yeah we'll I'll put push, on the show notes.
0: I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Um, yeah. and then you know uh yeah we'll also try to find yeah we'll tweet it out but then again you know this is just starting out we'll also uh try to figure out some other things we can do going forward um i think that can make it a little bit more exciting if you can uh chip in and a a couple extra bucks so and we're
2: planning on thanking people by names at the end of the podcast like you probably have heard on some other podcasts where they use patreon to give people a shout out just to you know say thank you and acknowledge the fact that you're helping us out with this. Yep,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. It gives us an opportunity, too, because we do, you know, in the middle of every single Sunday, we take a couple hours out of our day, and it it makes various... Uh, members of our family may be a little annoyed that we have that we that we kind of isolate ourselves in different rooms to talk about the brewers once a week so it gives an opportunity to uh, kind of help pay us back for the time that we're able to to take to uh, put this together and steve obviously does so much in terms of editing it in terms of putting together the, the the rundown and being able to host and get this all together so it's a great opportunity for for everybody to say thanks to him too
0: anything else ryan
1: no i think we're good okay
0: um, that'll do it for this week's show. Oh, I know what I'm going to do is, you know, we had the question a couple weeks ago about what the Grateful Dead song the team feels like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play a different one at the end of this one. What it feels like once you make a big sign-in and you're ready for the season. Okay. What do you think I'm going to do?
2: I, off the top of my head... I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Okay, well, that's one more listener we're going to have this week who has to get through the whole (laughs) darn show. So, um, anyways, (laughs) as always, follow us on Twitter at MKETailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we're in the Google Play Store. So, uh, leave us some reviews, help people find the podcast, and thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.